The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. A few weeks ago, I, uh, I acted like a four-year-old to my four-year-old because he was acting like a four-year-old. Uh, in our house, it's a two-story house, and all the bedrooms are upstairs. And uh, my oldest son uh, got up one morning, I, I think it was my day off, this was a few weeks ago, and I'm pretty sure it was my day off, and if you're like me on your day off, your first order of business is to sleep in, right? Uh, but that wasn't his first order of business. Uh, because of the upstairs bedroom, uh, they're upstairs, we have a gate on the boys' room because in the middle of the night we don't want them trying to navigate the stairs and uh, going down too quickly, so we have a gate on the room. And he had woken up at about 4.30 or 5 in the morning, again, when I want to sleep in, when I'm just ready to you know, hit the snooze button as many times as I can and enjoy that, he gets up at about 4.30 or 5 a.m. in the morning, and he doesn't just get up and play quietly in his room. No, he wakes up, and he immediately starts screaming at the top of his lungs, not an excited scream, not an, I can't, it's just, I'm awake, I'm so happy, like this angry, upset scream, and he's yelling, Daddy! I said get up and open the gate, Daddy! <laughs> I'm just like, oh, good Lord. <laughs> In that moment, my response towards my son was not the most spirit-filled, patient, loving response I've ever given my four-year-old. Like I said, I acted like a four-year-old in response. I got down on his level and I said, I don't care what you say, go back to bed. How many of you, you've ever snapped in anger before, right? You just kind of boiled over whether it was something happened that was outside of your control or a kid just got too crazy. You just, you just snap. You just get angry. What does the Bible say about our anger? And how can the implications of the gospel help us experience victory in our anger? This morning, we're going to look at some good news for those of us that struggle with anger, bitterness, and resentment. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter number 4, Ephesians 4. We're going to look at verses 31 and uh, 32 as our text. We're going to look at a few other verses in Ephesians this morning well, but, as well, but 31 and 32 will be our primary text. We're currently in a series of messages entitled Blue Collar Gospel, looking at how the implications of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus can give us victory over the everyday struggles that we face. And so far, we, we've, we've laid out this framework each week, and each week we're working through this framework. In that framework, based off the implications of the gospel, we see what, does sin does, what sin does to us. Last week, we saw how the agony of shame grips us and it affects us. We've seen, we look at what does sin do to us, but then we don't just stop there. We look at what does God do for me? What does God do for me in that moment of sin? What does God do for me in that weakness? And then we see, what does Christ do in us? Because I'm a new creation, and because Christ now is living in me, what does Christ do in my heart? How does he meet those soul cravings that we all have? And then lastly, we see, what does the Spirit now want to do through me? Now that I'm a new creation in Christ, what does the Spirit say my new behaviors will look like? What does he want to do in and through my life? And this morning, we're going to march through this framework, looking at anger, bitterness and resentment on your way in you should have received one of our weekly guides on the inside there's an outline that you can use to follow along throughout the message this morning uh, it also has your connection your bible study guide and some devotionals that you can use throughout the week to kind of dive a little bit deeper into what we talked about this morning but if you are physically able i'd like to encourage you to stand as we read our text this morning ephesians chapter number four i'm going to read verses 31 and 32 the bible says let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, clamor is like yelling or shouting when you're upset, like what I was doing at my four-year-old. That is clamor and evil speaking. That could also be translated slander. 
Let all this be put away from you with all malice. So he's saying put bitterness, put wrath, put malice, put these evil outward expressions of anger away from you. Verse 32, and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. You may be seated. All of us have had times when we've experienced anger, right? All of us have had those moments where something happened that was outside of our control, and we get angry. We get upset. Now, anger sometimes can be a little bit difficult to work through because our instant reaction is often to justify our anger, isn't it? Our instant reaction is to place the responsibility of the blame on something else. I mean, we'll say things like, if my children would only behave. Uh, this morning on the way in, we were having all kinds of, you know, the Sunday morning rush, right? Or it's like you're rushing and you're rushing and you're rushing and you're throwing food at the kids and you're just rushing and you're doing your best not to get angry because when you get a church, you're supposed to smile, right? That was this morning for us. Somebody asked me how I was doing. I said, I have had lots of potential sermon illustrations for this morning. We say, if only my child would behave. We say things like, if only the people in the city would know how to drive, then I wouldn't be so angry all the time. We say things like, man, if this person only thought the way I thought, if they only agreed with all of my logic and all of my thinking. We say things like, if that family member hadn't betrayed my trust, then I wouldn't be angry. We say things like, man, if that friend who said they were my best friend, if they just would have been there for me, then I wouldn't be angry, then I wouldn't be better. If this person hadn't lied to me, if my spouse would just treat me right, if my boss would just recognize all my hard work, we make all these excuses as to why we are angry. We could go on and on and on, but the truth is we are masters at deflecting the responsibility of our anger. And we allow bitterness and resentment to get in, and we blame other people, we blame the circumstances in our life. So as we begin working through this framework, we have to have the humility to take responsibility for our own anger. The truth is nobody can make you feel angry but you. And we have to have the humility to take that responsibility, because as long as we keep deflecting the blame for our anger on other people, we'll never experience victory over it. We have to have the humility to recognize what it can do to us. Anger can be hard to give up. We like to hold on to our anger, don't we? Because it makes us feel like we are getting even. It gives us a sense that justice has been done. It, it helps us feel like if I, me being angry is going to fix this problem. You guys want to know how my son responded when I yelled at him? I'll tell you what he didn't say. My son did not come up to me and say, thank you for that loving rebuke, Dad. I recognize the folly of my ways because of your righteous indignation, and I'm changing the posture of my heart. I realize I've set myself up in the center of the universe, and I repent. If you'd like to go back to bed and sleep in for a few hours, no, that is not what he said. More meltdowns ensued, more yelling ensued, more tears, more drama, more upsetness. And the Holy Spirit in that moment reminded me of what James 1, 19 and 20 says. It says, my dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Sometimes we like to hold on to it because we feel like we're going to get our way and it's going to accomplish what we want to, but God reminds us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, no, your anger does not produce my righteousness. It does not accomplish my ends, but so often we think if I could just hold on to it, I'm going to show them. If I could just hold on to my bitterness, hold on to my anger, hold on to my resentment. You see, our anger has the potential to poison us. We, we hold on to it because we think it's going to fix things, but in, in fact, what it does is it, it makes things worse. If you look in Ephesians 4 in our text, go back up a few verses to verses 26 and 27. Paul says, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down on your wrath. He's saying, don't harbor anger in your heart. Verse 27, 
Because it's a different verse, we often detach verse 27, but if you look at it, it's actually a part of the same sentence. Neither give place to the devil. Literally in the same sentence, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, connects the sinful type of anger with giving the devil a place in your life. That word place could be translated foothold. It could be translated as opportunity. You're giving the devil an opportunity to wreak havoc in your life. To refuse to surrender anger is to welcome the devil to wreak havoc in our hearts and our relationships. It allows him to take new ground and extend his stay in a given situation. Anger does not resolve sin, but it actually incites sin, and oftentimes it multiplies sin. Harboring anger in your heart is the one thing the Bible explicitly says opens the door and it invites the enemy into work. And this anger manifests itself in two different ways. And there's really two different ways we as people, we as humans, we tend to try to work through our anger. When we get angry, circumstances or people, stuff happens and we we get angry, we tend to either blow up or we tend to bottle up. So first of all, we see there's this external expression towards our anger. It's one of the ways we as people respond. It's one of the ways anger manifests itself. Jesus warns about this in Matthew chapter 5. He says, you've heard it said, time of old, that thou shalt not kill. Whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of judgment. Now we know based on verse 22, Jesus is talking about being angry. So he's warning us about this external expression of our anger. There's these people, when they get angry, they don't know what to do. They don't know how to handle it, and so they just lash out. They blow up, so to speak. All of us have been there in our lives, and all of us have experienced this when other people do this. We don't know what to do. We get so hurt. We get so offended. This anger is like a poison inside of us, and we just want to get rid of it, so we just blow up on everybody around us, don't we? And oftentimes when we get angry and we blow up, we tend to blow up on the people that are closest to us. When I blow up, that one morning, it was my son that I was blowing up on. When I get angry and I lash out and I give out these external expressions of anger, when I blow up, when I yell, when I get mad, like, like our text says, that clamor, that evil speaking, when we blow up, it's those that are closest to us that bear the brunt of it. It's my wife, it's my kids, it's my closest friends, it's my coworkers. They're the ones that bear the brunt of our anger. See, it's like this poison and we, we don't know what to do with it. And so we spew it out. And let's be honest, sometimes it it makes our flesh feel good, doesn't it? Like, I got something off my chest. Yeah, I, I feel better. But the problem is we spew that poison onto everybody around us. And no, you didn't murder anybody, but you're killing your relationships. People don't want to be around you. Your kids and your, your family, they're, they're scared because they don't want dad to have another blow up. Oh, I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to yell at. Your friends are withdrawing from you because they're tired of getting blown up on. They're tired of being emotionally thrown up on, of you spewing out that anger. You see, Jesus wants you to be free from these kind of outbursts that might eventually lead to you choking somebody out. We've all had that moment, right? Where we're so angry and we're so frustrated, we just think, if I could just get my fingers around this. That's this outward expression. That's how we sometimes handle it. We don't know what to do when these circumstances hit. And so we just blow up. Jesus, he warns us about this, but he doesn't just warn us about blowing up in anger. Yes, Jesus wants you to be free from choking somebody out. Absolutely. But he wants more for you than that. He also wants you to be free from the anger in your heart that would ever lead to that. So some people, they don't know how to deal with their anger, and so they just blow up. Other people, they know blowing up isn't the most socially acceptable thing to do, right? Like we've all been at the store when we see somebody blowing up at somebody else, and it's almost comical to watch how everybody around there just gets like really awkward. 
Because we know this isn't good. This, this is bad. <laughs> like we, we know we shouldn't do that. We know we shouldn't blow up. We know that that external blow up is, is not socially acceptable. So what do we do when we get angry? We bottle it up. No, we don't blow up, but we bottle it up. And this becomes the internal expression of our anger. And Jesus warns us about this. He said, I say unto you, whoever is angry at his brother without cause shall be in danger of judgment. Matthew 5, 22. And whosoever shall say to thy brother, Raka, that means you fool. You shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever, but whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Raka, or this term fool, it means obstinance. It translates, I will not help you in any way. It's a much more passive-aggressive type of anger. It's not a blow-up, it's not in your face, but it's really subtle. It's the subtle, I don't want what's good for you. I don't want you to enjoy life. Because we're bottling it all up, this anger starts to leak out in other ways, in other passive-aggressive ways, in more subtle ways in our life. It's, it, it says things like, or it thinks things like, I don't want you to succeed. I kind of actually want to see you fall, and I'm going to get a sense of justification when, when you fail. It's, I'm not going to serve you, I'm not going to help you. In fact, if I can kind of maybe wound you in this passive-aggressive way, that's what I'm going to do. When we, when we bottle up this anger, it starts to leak out in other people, in, in these other ways. It refuses to let people experience good things in life. You ever been around someone and just, nothing's ever good enough? You try to enjoy something and it's just like, man, this person doesn't seem to enjoy anything. That, that's that internal expression of anger. It, and it, it, it poisons you. You're swallowing that poison and you're letting it ruminate in your heart. As a kid, we used to say all the time, hey man, take a chill pill. I now realize as an adult that probably has different connotations than I realized as a kid. But we know the answer isn't just to relax, right? We know the answer to our anger is not just going and doing some yoga. As we see, this is, this is a serious deal. It has the potential to poison our souls. Anger, if you allow it to take root in your heart, it's like drinking poison, hoping that the other person dies. This anger and this bitterness, when it starts to sink in, we are in, a, we are in effect holding on to our anger to the point where it becomes bitterness and it becomes resentment. And we are sinking and swallowing the spiritual poison of unforgiveness. Yes, it's more socially acceptable than blowing up. But Jesus says, you're in danger. You're in danger. If anger takes root in your heart and becomes a grudge or an unforgiving spirit, it can destroy you. It ruins your ability to enjoy God. It ruins your ability to enjoy life or enjoy the people around you. You're not happy unless everybody else around you is miserable. And Jesus says, you're in danger of hellfire. Why does Jesus make such an extreme statement about harboring anger in our hearts? Because harboring anger and unforgiveness, he says, may be an indicator you've never actually experienced the forgiveness of God in the first place. You see, what destroys a person is this settled position that I am not going to forgive. When we get to the point in our hearts where we say, I'm not going to forgive. I will not forgive this person. I will hold on to my anger. I'm going to hold on to my bitterness. I have no intention of forgiving. In fact, I'm going to cherish being angry at them. I'm going to enjoy this bitterness. I'm going to enjoy holding this grudge against them forever. When we get to that settled position in our hearts, Jesus says, watch out. You're, you're, you, you might be in, you're in danger here. It might be that you've never experienced the forgiveness of God, but what we see in our text, the solution to our anger is experiencing the forgiveness of God. Now again, this is that settled position that we're talking about. It's not struggling to forgive. All of us have had that moment where we struggle, right? 
That doesn't mean you're not saved. That struggle, in fact, is probably an indicator that you are saved because you know you should, but there's that struggle with your flesh. Maybe your heart is not in that settled position, but there's still that struggle. Anger often comes to your mind, and you feel like it's just eating you up, this battle against bitterness. You feel like it's eating you up. You feel like it's robbing your enjoyment of God. That may be an indicator that you just need to go and spend some time basking in the forgiveness of God. This is why the solution to our anger has to be bigger than ourselves. It has to be bigger than just, oh, I just need to take a deep breath. The solution to anger is experiencing the forgiveness of God. So how does God meet us in our struggle? As we work our way through this gospel framework, we see what the, the sin of anger does to us. It gives the devil a foothold in our life. But what does God do for us? How does God meet us in our anger? What does God do for us? He forgives. Read Ephesians 4.32. Forgive even as God has forgiven you. Our first point this morning, we see in our anger, when we're struggling with this sin, what does God do? He extends his forgiveness. I mean, when we consider anger, when we consider bitterness, when we consider giving the devil a full hold on, that's heavy stuff. That's nothing to just kind of wink at or roll our eyes at or think, oh, that's no big deal. That's, that's some pretty big, heavy stuff. Some of us may be giving the devil some opportunity in our lives, but how does God respond? He responds with his forgiveness. God's forgiveness is the most awesome and wonderful thing in the world. We know the horror of our sin. We know how it separates us from God. But forgiveness spans the gap. Forgiveness clears the way so you can enjoy your God. Forgiveness, it's so beautiful, it's so wonderful, it's so amazing, and God offers it to us as our free gift. The record of our debt that our sin was piling up has been canceled. God canceled the debt. Our sin, it piles up and it piles up and it becomes this debt before God, and we know sin separates us from God, but at the moment you place your faith and trust in Christ, Christ, God said, your debt is taken care of. I have wiped your debt out. And Christian, every time you feel anger rising in your heart and every time you start to feel that struggle with anger, God says you are forgiven. Every time you get angry and you blow up, Christian, God says forgiven. Every time you struggle with those sinful thoughts and you want to get mad and you want to get even, God says you are forgiven. The you cannot out the forgiveness of God. It's the most glorious implications of the gospel. This is why we cherish his forgiveness. His forgiveness is so wonderful and it's so amazing. Our hearts should just burst alive with the fact that we are forgiven. So when you're hurt and you feel anger rising up inside of you, when you feel your heart starting to drift towards bitterness, run to the cross and remind yourself of how forgiven you are. Go experience the forgiveness of God. Experiencing his forgiveness is how we get victory over our anger. There's going to be days you struggle to put away anger. There's going to be days you struggle to put away bitterness, and you're, and you're so tempted to give in to resentment, and that struggle is going to make you feel defeated, and it's going to make you feel weak. It's going to make you feel like you're so stretched thin. In that moment, God says, son, you are forgiven. Daughter, you are forgiven. You have my forgiveness. You don't have to get angry at yourself for being angry. <laughs> Any of you ever been there before? Like, I didn't feel good afterwards after I blew up at my kid either. I was like, man, what a lousy dad I am. God says, Nick, you are forgiven. You don't have to beat yourself up over your anger. You don't have to be angry at yourself because you're angry. You are forgiven. God meets your struggle to forgive. In that tension, 
When you're like, I know I should forgive, but I'm struggling to. God, help me. God, meet you in that moment with his forgiveness. The best way to put down the sword of your anger is to cherish the forgiveness of God. Yes, we deserve to die for our sins. We deserve to be punished. We deserve the wrath and anger of God, but God says you are forgiven. And my forgiveness is constantly flowing. You can never out my forgiveness. It's always there. It's always available. You can't out God's forgiveness. And because God has canceled that sin debt, because God has forgiven my sin, I can now enjoy unlimited access to God. Christian, you don't have to constantly wonder whether or not God's cool with you today. Get off that hamster wheel. God says you're forgiven. You are forgiven. You don't have to constantly live in fear and pray, oh man, if I don't ask God to forgive me fast enough, he's going to zap me. (laughs) No, you are are forgiven god says i've forgiven you of all of your sin you are forgiven i love colossians 2 13 through 14 when you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh he god made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses he erased the certificate of its debt god erased your debt the sin of the debt of sin that was piling up between you and god god says it's erased it is gone you are forgiven. So oftentimes we pray, God, would you just forgive me? You don't have to do that. God says you're already forgiven. Stop asking God for what he's already given you. You are forgiven. Allow yourself to believe that. Allow yourself to just bask and enjoy the fact that God has erased my sin debt. God has forgiven me of all of my sin. The sin I'm going to commit tomorrow that I don't even know yet. God says it's forgiven. It is under the blood of Jesus. That debt has been erased. Your forgiveness is now a done deal. Ephesians 1, 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sin. Our text says, even as God has forgiven you, that tense of that word forgiven, it was an event that happened in the past and it continues on for all of eternity. Your forgiveness is a done deal. The moment you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, forgiven. Forgiven. How does God meet us in our anger? Forgiven. You are forgiven. Now, there's a little phrase in Ephesians 4.32. When Paul is writing and he's telling this church about the forgiveness of God, there's this little phrase in there. He says, even as God, next three words, for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Why can we enjoy the forgiveness of God? Why is this so wonderful and amazing and life-giving forgiveness available to us? as we continue working our way through the framework, we've seen what sin does to us. It gives the devil a foothold in our life. We've seen uh, how God meets us in that moment. He gives us his forgiveness. Now let's look, what does Christ do in me? At the moment we place our faith and trust in Christ, Christ came inside of you and he made you a new creation. The reason we can experience uh, God's forgiveness is because what Christ did for us on the cross. Because Jesus died in our place. When Jesus died for our sins on the cross, Not only did he eliminate the enmity between us and God, but he also eliminated the enmity between us and others. If you go back a few chapters in Ephesians, verses 11 through 17, Paul tells uh, these two groups of people, these these, uh, Greeks and these Jewish people, he says, when you got saved, when you became a new creation in Christ, you are now made one. And yes, the enmity between you and God was taken care of, but the enmity between you and other people was also taken care of. 
Because Jesus died in your place. Because Jesus absorbed the wrath of God. That's our second point this morning. Christ has absorbed the wrath of God. And because Christ absorbed the wrath of God in my place, I am now no longer at enmity with other people. I am now one with my fellow believers. We say this a lot, but I want us to think about this in regards to our anger, bitterness, and resentment. When Jesus died on the cross, God punished him for your sin. We know that. We say it all the time, and I think it's good because I think we need to be reminded of that. But Jesus didn't just die for my sins. God didn't just punish Jesus for my sins. He also punished Jesus for your sins. God poured out his just anger and his wrath on Jesus. 1 John 4, 10, here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation simply means satisfactory payment for our sins. What was the payment? Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Because God poured out his wrath and anger on Jesus, I can now experience the forgiveness of God, and my heart is now at peace. According to Ephesians 2.11-17, we're now one. That's part of our new nature. That's part of our new identity. That's the new creation that we now are. So get this, if a sin has been committed against you by another believer, God already punished Jesus for that sin. That sin has been dealt with, and it's already been forgiven. We like to bask in forgiveness when it's our sin, but it's also forgiveness of that sin that was committed against you. Because of the cross of Jesus, you no longer have to carry the suicidal load of anger, bitterness, and resentment. My heart is now at peace because justice for that sin has been done. I can now experience peace. That's what Ephesians 2, 11 through 17 tells us, that Christ is our peace. Why? Because he absorbed the wrath of God. Because in Christ, we're now a new creation, and that new creation is at one with each other. Because we're now at one, I can experience peace even in the middle of things that would used to make me angry. Because Jesus now eliminated the enmity between us and God and us and others, we are now one. My new nature is now one with you. The real me is no longer angry. The real me is no longer at an enmity, to use the word that Paul uses. The real me is now at peace. We can enjoy peace even though we've been hurt. I, I don't have to hold on to my anger so I can get this sense of justice anymore because my heart's at peace because justice has already been done. Because Christ absorbed the wrath of God. That's what Christ now does in me. Because he absorbed the wrath of God. Because he said, God, you can punish them for my sin. God, I will absorb your anger and your wrath for them. And because God has absorbed the wrath and anger for that sin, my heart is now at peace and I don't have to dish out my wrath. I, I don't, I, I, I'm free. Because my heart is at peace because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Your heart is free from striving to get your pound of flesh. Because to use the illustration, God got the pound of flesh out of Jesus. My heart's now at peace. This is what Jesus does in me. He produces this peace inside of me that frees me from lashing out in anger. It frees me from ever allowing anger even in my heart. It frees me from blowing up. It frees me from bottling it up. Jesus gives us this peace. Jesus is our peace. At the moment you got saved, you were given Christ's righteousness and made into a new creation. That new you is free from anger. Because you're experiencing this peace, because you're now at one with other believers, because your heart is now at peace with the justice that happened on Calvary, because your heart is now at peace with the fact Jesus absorbed God's wrath. I am now free from anger. I am free from bitterness. 
I am free from resentment because Christ absorbed the wrath of God. You are now free from the wrath of yourself. (laughs) You're now free from the wrath of man because my heart is at peace. This is what Jesus does inside of us. And when those things happen that used to make us angry, no, the, the, the new Nick, the new you is now at peace. Because justice has been done for this sin. God poured out his wrath and his anger on Jesus for this sin. Because Christ absorbed the wrath of God. I don't, I don't have to. My heart is now at peace. In fact, the new you has an entirely different way of viewing hurts and difficulties. Because your soul is now at peace, the new you views hurts and difficulties and the things that used to make you mad as an opportunity to extend God's forgiveness and to extend God's grace and to extend his mercy. The new you now views it as a chance for you to grow spiritually. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 says, you rejoice in this. Rejoice. What do we rejoice in? Even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. Because Jesus saved us, because Jesus absorbed the wrath of God, we can now rejoice even though we're suffering grief in various trials. You say, Pastor Nick, what are various trials? When my kids won't behave, that's various. When I get cut off in traffic and I want to get so angry and drive up next to the guy and just glare at him, that's various. When you feel hurt or betrayed, that's various. Why? So that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Because Christ absorbed the wrath of God and my new heart is now at peace, I have a totally different way I view difficulties. I, I, I don't view them anymore as a chance to get angry or just another reason to bottle up this anger inside of me and be bitter. It's an opportunity to grow. It's an opportunity to extend the forgiveness of God because Christ was righteous for me. My heart is now at peace with the fact that Christ was righteous for me. I don't have to demand or expect other people to be righteous towards me. Christ's righteousness has been imputed to you. God canceled the sin debt. And then he gave you the credit for Christ's righteousness. And because Christ is righteous towards me, and Christ is righteous for me, I don't have to get mad at you when you're not righteous enough. I don't have to try to manipulate uh, the people in my life and the circumstances so that everybody can be just right, so I can be at peace. I have the righteousness of Christ, and because of that, my heart is now at peace. I don't have to be angry so that person will know they messed up. I don't have to be angry and bitter at them to try to get even for how they hurt me. Justice was done at the cross, and my heart is now at peace with the justice that was dealt out of the cross. Christ has already dealt with that wrong, and I am now at peace. Now it takes faith to believe that in the moment when you feel that anger rising up in you, doesn't it? It takes faith to believe the new me is at peace when the new me wants to say things that I normally wouldn't want to say. (laughs) It takes faith to believe. John Piper said the battle against bitterness is a battle against unbelief in the promises of God. The battle of our anger and the battle of our bitterness and the resentment that creeps into our heart is not, oh, I'm going to go get you back. No, the the battle is believing that what Christ did on the cross was enough and that I'm now at peace. This This is what Jesus does in us. Believe the promises of God. Romans 12, 19. Friends, don't avenge yourself. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it's written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. 
uh, 1 Peter 2, 21 through 23 tells us that Jesus did nothing wrong, but he entrusted himself to the just judge, leaving us an example. Can we trust God as our judge, church? The battle against your angerness and the battle against your bitterness is a battle of believing that the cross was enough. And once Christ has taken the wrath of God at the cross, our role is now to forgive our enemies. This peace is so real. This forgiveness is so real. What Jesus does in us is so real. I can now forgive even my enemies. Even those people who my flesh just wants to get mad at because the peace of God is so real in my heart. I can now forgive. I can now love. So we've seen what the sin of anger does to us. It gives the devil a foothold. We've seen what God does for us, how he meets us in that danger. He gives us his forgiveness. We've seen what Christ does in us. Because Christ was righteous for me, I don't need you to be righteous for my heart to be at peace. Because Christ absorbed the wrath of God, I don't need to dish out my own anger to feel a sense of justice. Now let's look at what the Holy Spirit wants to do through us. Ephesians 4, 31, 32, back to our text. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you along with all malice. Put them away and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. The Spirit enables me to put away anger. The Spirit enables us to put away anger. How do we know when we've put away anger? Because I can keep my cool? Because I'm good at bottling it up? No. We know we put away anger when the kindness and forgiveness of God are freely flowing through us. The Holy Spirit wants to make your life a conduit of God's forgiveness and God's kindness. But anger is the roadblock that keeps the kindness and forgiveness of God flowing through us. But the Holy Spirit, because of what God does for us, because of what Christ does in us, the Holy Spirit now wants to make you people that are quick to forgive. He enables you to put away anger. He enables you to pass on God's forgiveness. He enables you to be kind. In those moments when you feel that anger rising up in you, trust the Holy Spirit. Cry out to the Holy Spirit. Allow Him to remind you of how much you have been forgiven. Allow him to remind you that you are now in Christ, and because you are in Christ, Christ is in you, producing peace. He is your peace. And allow him to extend God's mercy and God's kindness and God's forgiveness through you. When we stand in awe of being forgiven by God, you can't go on holding a grudge. When we stand in awe of how much he has forgiven us, and when we stand in awe of the fact that Christ is now inside of me, and I get to experience his righteousness and his peace, we'll we'll fall in love with mercy. We'll fall in love with forgiveness because God's forgiveness is the most amazing and overwhelming thing. The natural default of our heart will be just just to give it away. The Holy Spirit wants to do this through you. He wants to enable you to be kind and forgive even in the face of those who have hurt you. Now, forgiveness is not the same as ignoring sin. Forgiveness is not sweeping a sin issue under the carpet. If something illegal happened, forgiveness is not neglecting to report it. Forgiveness is not even the same as reconciliation or confronting a problem. That's a whole other sermon. We're actually talking about that tonight at 5 o'clock, so come back tonight. Uh, that, that's, forgiveness is primarily a posture of our heart. And forgiveness can happen in our heart even before all those other things take place. Whatever we think holding on to anger or even revenge will give us, we've already been given Christ. Whatever sense of justice, whatever sense of getting even we feel by holding on to anger and holding on to bitterness and seeking revenge, whatever we think, whatever feeling that we think that's going to give us, 
God says, I've, I've already given that to you in Christ. On November 10th, 2015, a church planner named Davy Blackburn woke up to what he thought was a usual Tuesday morning. He got up early. He said around his website, he says around 4.30. He uh, spent some time reading his Bible, then he went and hit the gym. When he came home, he found his wife unconscious on the floor with three gunshot wounds, one of which was to the head. While he was away at the gym, his home had been broken into and his pregnant wife had been assaulted and then murdered. All this happened while their one-year-old was, up, was asleep upstairs in their crib. I don't know about you. That makes me angry. <laughs> like if, if I was in his position, we would all say, you, yeah, it makes sense that you would be bitter. We might even give him a pass on it. <laughs> But notice what happened. After the man who committed this crime was arrested, Davy made this statement to the press. So they arrested the man in the press. They came and interviewed Davy, and this is what Davy said. Though everything inside me wants to hate and be angry and slip into despair, I choose the route of forgiveness, grace, and hope. There's one thing I learned from my wife Amanda in the 10 years we were together. It's this, choosing to let my emotions drive my decisions as a recipe for a hopeless and a fruitless life. Today, I'm deciding to love and forgive and not hate. You see, the solution, to, the solution to experiencing anger is the forgiveness of God. And when we recognize how much we've been forgiven, and when we realize what Christ is doing in me, even in the face of the most awful, hateful circumstances, we can forgive. We can put away anger. We can be kind and we can forgive. The Holy Spirit wants to make us a people who are quick to forgive. And the more you allow his forgiveness to fill your hearts, the less room there is in our hearts for anger and for bitterness and for resentment. I want you to imagine you had a bank account for a minute. We all got a bank account, right? It's how much is in it. That's the other question. Uh, I want you to imagine you had a bank account that had an unlimited amount of money in it. That's fun to imagine, right? Unlimited amount of money. If you're sitting here and you're thinking what this would do to the global economy, stop. You're going to ruin my illustration, okay? Unlimited amount of money. You can never run this bank account dry. And there was no maximum amount you could withdraw from it. If you want to withdraw $10, sure. You want to withdraw a million dollars? No sweat. No problem. An unlimited amount of money. That's, that's a nice thought, isn't it? I mean, what would you do? Probably pay off your house. Probably buy a nice car probably make sure all your bills were taken care of. I mean, you never have to worry about bills again. Set your kids up for a good future. I mean, you'd be set. But chances are you wouldn't stop there, would you? You would probably be the most generous person in the world. And I'm not talking I'm going to go buy the homeless guy McDonald's generous. Like, I'll go buy the homeless guy a house generous. There's no limit. I'll, I'll, I'll pay to build a church building. No limit. I'll, I'll, I'll build a hospital. There's no limit. Man, I'll go to a third world country and lift them out of poverty. There's no limit. Because there's no limit to the amount of money, you would never be worried about overdrawing. Because there's no limit, you would never be worried about spending too much money. Because there's no limit, you would be the most incredibly generous person in the world. Now think about this. That is exactly what we have in the forgiveness of God. There's no limit. There's no limit. 
Like we said, you cannot outsend the forgiveness of God. We don't have to hoard God's forgiveness and hold on to it like, oh, if I don't hold on to it, I'm not going to have enough for tomorrow and I'm going to run out and oh, I don't want God to zap me, so I'm going to hoard it. No. Because there's no limit to God's forgiveness, we can be the most generous people in the world with his forgiveness. We don't need to hoard God's forgiveness and his mercy. We can freely give it out because we freely received it. There's no limit. And because there's no limit, we can be a people who are crazy generous with forgiveness, radically generous, the type of generosity and forgiveness that makes the world go, what? Because we're experiencing it. Because his forgiveness is so real. Here's our takeaway for this morning. Then we'll wrap it up. Because I, can full, because, I full, because I can fully enjoy Christ's satisfying righteousness, I am now free to forgive others' unrighteousness towards me. Because I can fully enjoy Christ's satisfying righteousness, because I can fully enjoy God's never-ending forgiveness, I am now free to forgive others' unrighteousness towards me. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.